In this episode of 9-2-Y Talks, actor Robert De Niro discusses the first monograph to fully explore his father's artistic oeuvre, Robert De Niro Sr., Paintings, Drawings, and Writings, 1942-1993, through 1993, with art historian Robert Storr. The conversation was recorded on October 7, 2019, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Um, I used to do a series of uh, interviews with artists here at the Y. This is a place I hold in very high esteem and like very, very much. Um, and I would like to say just a few general things about the conversation we'll have and about the context in which it happens, show you a few images, and then we'll cut to the chase. Um, the history of modern art and of art in general is constantly being rewritten. As you will have known from the New York Times last weekend, the modern is going to reopen for the umpteenth build-out, and the collections will be shuffled yet again and yet again. Um, I was there for the last one. I was the senior curator of painting and sculpture the last time they did this. Uh, and that was something that was delicious to do because there is so much art that people don't know well enough. The canons are never set. And new generations, new insights, new ways of thinking about making art and doing art and in what context is done change the evaluation of individual talents. Uh, something of that is process is now uh, happening for Robert De Niro. Uh, when I was a young painter, I remember reading old issues of Art News and seeing little black and white illustrations. And even in small black and white illustrations, the force of his paintings came through very clearly to me. And I was very curious about him. And I didn't know much about him, and there wasn't much to read. Um, later, laterally, I uh, taught at the studio school down on 8th Street, and we met at a couple of openings. Uh, and he was somebody who was in that sort of milieu of 10th Street and other artists who hung on and kept making art despite huge changes in style, changes in market, and so on. And it is for that that I admire him the most. He saw his vocation. He pursued it, never gave up, never became so embittered that he wouldn't do it, uh, never thought he was owed things that didn't come his way, and if he didn't uh, have what he wanted, he would just give up the ghost. He was an artist. He was first and foremost a painter. And he just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it and making vigorous paintings of the kind that I had seen in these reproductions. So uh, I think now is the time to reevaluate him, to look at a number of artists in his uh, generation in school. Another artist of this type is Fairfield Porter, who was sort of passed over for many years and then recovered. Porter's career has zoomed, and I think the same thing can happen for Robert De Niro. Uh, the people will begin to understand that New York School was many, many, many people, not just the top ones, that are known by everyone, and that the best of some of the ones who are lesser known is better than the middling and lesser works of people you know by name. So if you're really interested in painting, and not names, then you can look at De Niro and find many treasures. Now, I'm gonna show you just a few that are in this book. Uh, they're gonna go very fast, and I will say, uh, sort of as a preamble, uh, I don't believe in slides as a way to communicate what's in paintings. Painters work so hard to put in painting the only language the things that can be put, that they care about can be put in. So what I'm giving you now is a series of diminished versions of something that De Niro strove in his entire life to make as rich as he possibly could. Okay, here we go. Um, okay, this is a, a photograph of De Niro in his sort of early uh, middle years, that is to say, after he'd made his mark. He came forward in the scene in the middle of the war at a time when the New York School as such was just beginning to coalesce, was just beginning to emerge. And he was picked up by a number of the smartest people in New York, among them Thomas Hess, and probably foremost uh, Clement Greenberg, who made the reputation of David Smith and of Jackson Pollock. He signaled, uh, and also Meyer Shapiro, who was a very, very important art historian, who had ties in the world of uh, contemporary artists, and who was also associated with the studio school. Now, if you have De Niro, Hess, and Clement Greenberg on your side, that's a, that's a trifecta. And this is an early painting that is clearly uh, infused with the energies and the thoughts and the uh, thoughts of, me, and the manners of Matisse and others. Uh, De Niro was a painter who owed great debts and paid them by making pictures that did not imitate, but that uh, moved on from the examples set by Delacroix, Matisse, and others. Many of them were, were of seraglios or of uh, 
There we go. This is the more abstract work of the kind that he did at this point. And they're similar in some respects to his wife, Virginia Admiral, who is also a noted painter. So Bob De Niro Jr. is the child of two painters, and Virginia Admiral was collected by the Museum of Modern Art very, very early. So she had almost a similar kind of recognition. Here's another one. And you can see how lively they are. They're very painterly. The surfaces are very rich. The colors are even richer. Oh, here we go. Um, this is the self-portrait under a straw hat. So peeking out from that very broad brim is the artist himself. And this is a crucifixion. De Niro was a religious man, um, something that was not all that common at that time, or at least not that common in terms of what people put in their artworks. And he painted numerous crucifixions in the 40s and 50s and on later into life. Uh, and there are paintings that were part of his sense of the martyrdom of a suffering individual man who is at odds with the society uh, that he was born into, and he felt that intensely. This is him in the studio, a photograph taken by Rudy Burkhart, who was the great photographer of this period for artists' portraits and artists' work. Uh, he was also a great filmmaker and photographer in his own right. And you can see there, actually, that, that in the background on the easel is the painting you've just seen is this one here. So that appears in black and white on the easel. This is a self-portrait, um, early self-portrait. And this is two men uh, in a room. And again, two men, this time clothed. This is almost in conversation with de Kooning, who did a series of images of mannequins and windows on Fifth Avenue or elsewhere. And they, he, he, he reveled in doing the suits, really good suits. This is another self-portrait, and you can see the boldness of his drawing. Uh, that was the thing that distinguished him right off the bat. He knew where he was going. He could make a firm mark and make it hold. He could then, and this is something that other people could not necessarily do, bring in rich, rich color. This is a, a setup um, of a, a neoclassical head on a tabletop or a, a sideboard top or something like that. And this is very much indebted to Matisse. But again, he paid his debts by making something other than imitations. He made paintings in the tradition of, in the variation, themes and variations. And in music, we know this. Uh, there's a thing called a tombeau, which is a poetic form and also a, uh, a musical form where you pay homage to a past artist. And the Tombeau de Monsieur Couperin, for example, is a piece by, I forget who, one of the modern composers in France. And this is a tombeau, so to speak, of Matisse. This is a tombeau of Picasso. This is the woman at the well that Picasso painted, but this is the woman at the well that De Niro painted, and it's different. And it's vigorous and energetic in different ways. And I think, you know, in this period, we've sort of lost our ability to see how nuance really counts. So this is not trying to be Picasso. This is De Niro being De Niro, thinking about Picasso. And that's not a mean thing. This is a landscape. This is the cover of the book. This is also a landscape, and you can see how the orientation of this painting is bands of color and so on. This is at a time when also other artists were going towards abstraction of the sort that allows color to float layer upon layer. But the fact is that De Niro never gave up the image. He, only in the very beginning did he sort of tend in that direction. So here you see somebody who knows what uh, Rothko's doing, who knows what any number of other painters are doing, and does what he wants to do with the things that are common property. This is an image of Greta Garbo. He was enamored of Greta Garbo as a sort of tragic heroine. He saw her loneliness, her isolation as being similar to his own, and he used her as her, his man of sorrows, except she was a woman of sorrows. Um, so this is, this is a series of drawings, and then a prints, and then a paintings, of which you will see this one here. This is her as she appears in Anna Christie, uh, and this is based on the film shot, but it's also a, a painting of enormous vigor in and of itself, and there, as I say, were a whole series of lithographs that he made latterly at Tamarind. This is the young Robert De Niro and the elder Robert De Niro together. Tough guys. Uh, and this is a light landscape, and you can see again how rich and spontaneous it is. There is no hesitation. There is no carefulness to the fault. There is basically a sense of going where you're going to go, and if it doesn't work out, you just paint over it and start again on the same surface, and that becomes the sedimentation, the pedimenti of the painting. That makes, uh, make, makes the color so rich. Uh, this is a very late painting of a man sitting in the studio. 
and you will see shortly a picture of the studio, but this is a kind of, this is a painting made by a man who's already quite ill and already quite old. He's in his uh, late 60s and he has cancer and yet there's a joyousness to this picture which is really remarkable. And this is the studio as he left it and one of the many things that uh, Bob De Niro Jr. has done is to preserve his father's work, to foster his father's work. This is filial piety of a kind that is extremely rare. And among the other things, for the grandchildren and for his children, he's kept the studio intact. And it is a kind of museum of New York School of the 1950s. And if the city ever wants to make a museum of it, I would say they were being smart because there aren't other lofts like this left. And you can see enormous bodies of work. The other place you can see them are the Tribeca Grill, which Bob De Niro has created and filled with his father's work, and his father was involved in its installation. Also, D.C. Moore Gallery downtown is doing a small but intense uh, De Niro show in November. And De Niro's work is increasingly visible in the public. So this book is to push that along a little bit. This conversation, I hope, will do the same. So I will now sit down and let uh, Bob De Niro uh, Jr., who is the author, in a sense, of this second phase of his father's career, uh, come and talk to us. Excuse me, I, I have a bit of a, call, a cold, so I hope I don't cough too much, but if I do, I will take some more lozenges and we'll just deal with it. Um, I guess the simplest question to ask is, what is it like to grow up with a 10th Street painter? Well, I, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I um, was, uh, my, Parents were artists. I, I it was uh, I was raised in the village. Um, I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what to say. What do you mean? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's a legendary time. Yeah. And it must have been. Well, first of all, your father never made very much money, nor did your no. mother. So you lived the bohemian and pretty straightened bohemian life that people make myths about. Mm -hmm. And it must have been a reality and not much fun parts of it, but other parts of it must have been very lively. And I just could, wonder if you could talk a little bit about being in that ambience. Um. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, not glamorous. It was okay. It was a, uh, <laughs> they, um, we, we didn't have much money. And my father used to run into, I'd run into him in the street when I, you know, I'd see him other times, of course. We weren't living together. I was living with my mother, but he would say, tell your mother to paint, tell her to paint. She's a great artist. And I'd say, okay, you know, and, and, he, and he would always push me on that. Um, and I'd visit him in his various studios in Soho or NoHo or... Uh, uh, and they were um, much, the studio that he has now that I've kept is a lot, uh, a lot cleaner, if you will, than mm. when he was, you know, by, uh, when he was a lot younger. Um, so, um, yeah, I, um, I mean, it wasn't, there's nothing that I could say that would, you know, like, I, they, they, what, what can I say that, that we, we did certain things like uh, talked about great poets. Well, sometimes he would tell me stuff but, or did certain things that you'd think that we would do, but we didn't, you know, just have a pretty simple life. <laughs> <laughs> well, before, before we came on, we met with Al Kresh, who is one of his contemporaries who also went to the Hoffman School, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That's the school of Hans Hoffman, who was the German artist, student of Matisse, who came to America and changed American art. Yeah. Um, and your mother was also a Hoffman student. Um, and it's extraordinary, first of all, that Al Kresh is still here with us. Yes. And Al. And I would say, yes. Um, another painter who should be looked at again. But in, in the household, were you meeting artists in a regular basis? Were they of any interest to you at all? Or were you just an American kid? I was just, a, yeah, I wasn't that interested uh, in, in it too much and they didn't make uh, I mean make a big well he would talk about this or complain about this or talk to my mother about stuff but they kept me pretty much out of it when I was 
um, around. Um, yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't um, Did you ever try making paintings yourself? No, I didn't. I, I didn't. I, I wasn't interested. And um, I, don't, I don't. My kids are not interested in what I do, as far as I can see. So. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> one was for a while, but then he changed, you know, he went, got off, did something much more, much more sensible, a computer science and so on. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, um, <coughs> uh, I was pretty, uh, a lot of, spent a lot of time on my own too, hanging out with, you know, was, uh, did he seem to enjoy what he did? Because there's a whole mythology of suffering and angst and so on and so forth. Some of his journals have that, but there are others that don't seem to, and the paintings have very little of it. He, I didn't <coughs> you know, suffer really too much. I mean, he, um, I, in some ways he was self-absorbed, um, and I'd get annoyed with him about that at times. And, I say stop complaining and stuff. He would, when I was younger, I remember that would happen once in a while. And I was very annoyed with him when I went to Paris and and he was there. I must have gone when I was around 20, <coughs> I was 17. I hitchhiked through all of Europe and, and the British Isles and, and all over. And, and I went to France and visited him there when I was, um, not when I was, when I was. Um, About 20, I think, no? 19. 20, yeah, 1920, and, um, and then came back to the States and then went back out when I was around 22, and he was not, he was more in a funk, he was living in a little hotel in Paris, and before that he had lived in central France in the, Lyon, in the Loire Valley area, and <coughs> I was, um, I found myself um, saying, well, you let's take some of your artwork around to um, galleries and stuff. And I would take art with me and go to a gallery, a, 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 a um, left bank gallery, a, a fashionable kind of art gallery, like you'd find the equivalent of, say, a Madison Avenue here or wherever it is now in Chelsea. <laughs> and um, I, I said, look, we just have to do that. And I didn't get very far, but people were nice. But... Um, that was one thing, and then I finally um, <coughs> made him go. Uh, made him um, go back to uh, to New York. Um, he had a whole romantic idea of going to Europe and France and so on, which was great. And, uh, but it wasn't. Um, uh, things had changed, the, and the whole art scene apparently changed. And. When he came back, it was uh, different. Finally, five years later or so, because yeah. I was—I went to see him. Uh, he was on one of the Queen Mary, Queen Elizabeth one boat. I remember I saw him at West Side Pier, and he had a few people, and he was going to sail to France, and as he did, and and then, you know, those years later, things had had changed when, when he uh, came back. He was exceptionally Francophile, and he read French and yeah. really knew French poetry backwards and yes. forwards, and that also set him apart because basically the American artists weren't that interested in the School of Paris to that degree. I mean, they were interested in the precedence of these sort of Picasso's heroic breaking of paradigms, but they weren't into the, the textures of French culture, really. No, that's true. Yeah, he, he, uh, he was. He was... Uh, I heard he went to Italy. So he didn't tell me that. Somebody thought they had met him there or saw him there or something. I don't know if he ever made that trip during that time. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I just don't don't know. Well, I often think of uh, Arshel Gorky in relation to your father because Gorky <coughs> reinvented himself as a Frenchman, even though he was an Armenian refugee. Uh -huh. You know, and he also steeped himself in French culture, and yeah. he actually got better at doing Picassos than Picasso himself. Okay. Uh, and, so, and, and when people talk about originality, I mean, Gorky's really not an original painter. He's just a brilliant painter. And he took things that were there to be used and used them in ways that the people who invented them had not used them. Um, and uh, over and over again, you see 
Gorky setting fire to something, I mean, lighting, I should say, to something that seemed to be kind of familiar. And I think your father does the same too. He'll take a motif, he'll take a composition that should not be so exciting because we think we know it and then prove that actually there's lots of stuff to be done with it. I, I, um, I appreciate everything you tell me about my father because I don't... <laughs> I, I don't know a, a, a lot. I, I didn't study art. I didn't study his art, though I was very aware of who he was as my father, the situation, this and that. And uh, I'd go to galleries with him at times. And he, you know, he, um, he would talk or complain about the gallery. I remember once we went to a gallery, I guess I must have been 10 or 11 around Christmas time. And um, he got some money from the gallery owner and and there was a stack of, of um, uh, cardboard boxes in the corner. And then the gallery owner said, well, take one of those. It's Christmas. And it wasn't even wrapped. And it was just dried. I guess the, the family or the husband had been a, um, they had a, a dried soup business or something. And so that was what they were giving people or the artists, whoever was in the uh, gallery that. So I thought, geez, you know. Could have at least wrapped it or something. Um, but, um, and, and it's it's funny. I had my father was suspicious of um, uh, the way I remember it, and I don't know whether I'm 100 percent right, but I he, of gallery owners and dealers and stuff. And then so the one person that he endorsed. And said, you know, you know, I, I really, this guy is okay. Was Larry Salander, and and Larry was very eloquent and you know really good, and and did genuinely love my father's work. Uh, turned out to be in the, not do what do the right thing, shall we say? I, <laughs> to say the least, knows, no, but um, but but um, yeah. I, um, but you've got a good gallery now, and the, the, oh, now we're with a terrific that, that's, gallery. That, 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 that phase is over. Past. Yeah. Um, um, As we know, swindlers can be very charming. <laughs> what? Swindlers can be very charming. Well, I, part I, of that I, know. Skill. I know. I met a few. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> can I ask you, since you didn't go into the family business, which was painting, yeah. you did go into acting. Yeah. And how did your parents, both of them, but particularly your father, uh, react to that? move on your part well they being artists they of course were not going to be against that or opposed to that uh, that at all and they were very supportive yeah. and um, they were supportive they just there was no nothing to even discuss yeah. it's not like certain actors I'd meet who they came from say the Midwest or somewhere and they had a um, uh, they had to make a total break from their family their their, their whole they had to change everything. It was like they, but they wanted to make that break to come to the big city, New York. You know, it's the, that's. It. And I think my parents did that. My father and my mother did that, and so I was the second generation, not ex, not going through what they uh, went through. If anything, I probably was became a little more conservative. Again, not in some ways, not not much, but just as opposed to. Because they had they had made that break from their from their um, their hometown their 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 um, environment the original uh, place that they were born and raised. And you and Martin Scorsese, with whom you've made so many good films and so many tough films, were young kids in downtown Manhattan mm -hmm. at a time when downtown Manhattan was not what it is now. No, not at all. No, it's a different world. Uh, and yeah, Marty and I knew each other when we were teenagers and uh, I was aware of what he did. He was aware of me. We were aware of each other. We had a mutual friend who would go between our groups and a couple of blocks apart. And, and, um, and then um, slowly that we met, um, we met for dinner years uh, in my mid-twenties. Um, maybe 10 years after the times that I knew him in Little Italy, um, we met at a mutual friend, a film critic friend of ours, and we started talking. He had done a movie called Who's That Knocking? And I 
was that knocking at my door with Harvey Keitel, and I said, it's a terrific movie, and I you know, understood all of it, and I said, it's great. And then we started talking about Mean Streets, and then he, he offered me one of the parts in that, and that's how we got you know, back to being um, collaborators all these years. Was Harvey Keitel a downtown guy, too? Harvey's from Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Brighton Beach. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I live in Brooklyn. My daughter, who's here, grew up and she was born in Brooklyn. So you know, um, and she's not gone into the family business exactly, but she's a little bit. right. Um, anyway, so um, could you say a little bit about how, how? I remember when I was reading for the book, I was reading journals and so on and so forth, and there was a passage where your mother talks about how you were going to do this film. It's based on a novel by Mario Puzo. It's a pot butter so that uh, the director Coppola can do something else more artful. And it was called The Godfather. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's sort of ironic because, in fact, you know, setting out to make great art is not necessarily what makes great art. Setting out to do something that you really can fully grasp and imagine is what does it. And, you know, in a sense, your father had very high ambitions, but he achieved what he did because he had the love of the form. He really loved it. Godfather is also Coppola just loving to death a genre. Yeah, no, and I, yeah, exactly. I, my, uh, my father, I always knew it was so important for me um, to be, uh, to keep his legacy uh, fresh in my kids, uh, in, in their lives, in my grandkids, my great-grandkids, the, the, in the family that, that that must be very strong and that's why I kept uh, his uh, studio, uh, and I was making a, a, a movie about him, and I kept putting it off um, foolishly, uh, just, well, not fool, but just I kept putting it off, and I was talking to my partner, Jane Rosenthal, and I said, and she, and she kept saying, we've got to do this, got to do it. Then finally I said, okay, let's do it. And I uh, had Super 8 footage on him that a guy had done uh, on him, followed him around in the 70s. And um, I thought he gave it to me, didn't I? I bought it from him. Uh, but, um, and, and I thought, well, we, yeah. <laughs> we could start yeah, with... too, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. We could start with that. And, and, and we did use it, but then we um, um, made a... Um, uh, I, I was just start doing this thing and I didn't know where it would go and then finally HBO was interested and I, I said the movie will be the length that it'll be, it'll be the story that the family will have and the kids will have and that's it and then um, it became what it became as a, HBO was interested and so that was happy and uh, they, they took it over more or less and so and it's soon to be shown again, is that correct? It's going to be shown <laughs> yeah. uh, again, they're going to redo show it soon well, I recommend it and not just because I'm in it but <laughs> But but, it, but it's a it's a and uh, Alf Crush is in it and uh, Irving Sandler who since died is in it. There are a lot of people yeah. who talk about the art world as it was then, and there's a lot about the whole family in that story, which is really good. Yeah, I mean, it's really good. Yeah, I I didn't know what the length would be. I said it'll it, it, it'll be what it'll be, and then so it, that's what it was. <laughs> well. It, it, it's 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 basically the length of a of a of a, a sixty minute television show, yeah, PBS yeah, or whatever. So yeah, you know, that's what it's, it's the full story. Um, you've also created a prize for uh, artists in your father's name to, if possible, draw attention to artists who were in a predicament similar to his, which is to say, people of accomplishment who haven't had the recognition they deserve. That too is pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, I thought that that would be a nice thing to do for uh, uh, artists who would uh, uh, need that, that help. And, and so it was that simple. I just said, let me do it. And the help is financial, but it's mostly attention. I remember yeah, bringing attention to their work. Yeah. He was given to Joyce Pensato one year. Yes, yes. And Joyce Pensato is a fantastic woman who recently died. Yeah. And she'd been making paintings in this incredible loft, which had no heat to speak of, water dripping everywhere. Mm. She was still an old school, hard, you know, you know, loft rat. And she was making these wildly funny paintings. Right? Yeah. 
And when uh, she came to the ceremony to receive the award, she made a beeline for you and hugged you like you would not imagine. I mean, you can remember, but I, most people... No, I do. I, I like yeah. She was fantastic. <laughs> it was also given to Stanley Whitney. It's been given to numbers. Laura Owen, I think, won one. So it's a prize which is actually, in very rapid order, been a, an identifier of talent, of people who are mid or late career who deserve more. Yes, exactly. Exactly, yeah. And that is a, a huge gift on, in your father's honor, but in also in a sense, it's his, you know, it's his legacy. Yeah. Do you have other ideas about what things you would like to see happen? I mean, have museums been interested in shows? Would it be possible maybe to stimulate interest in a show? Well, we was, had some things that we were planning and trying to do, uh, and they didn't happen, or they almost happened. Uh, at certain museums, um, one the parish somehow something was going to happen there. I don't know what happened that made it not uh, go through. Um, even with the um, Smithsonian, something oh, really? was supposed to That's be right. another thing. That, uh, I don't know. I don't know what uh, we. Um, but um, again, the point is that my father's work is special. I know it was. It is special. Was special. And uh, you can't take that away from him. No. And maybe I'm not. I'm not. I'm more like a layman in, in relation to the, to art of the of that kind. But I know how dedicated he was, and I had to preserve that. And for my kids, grandkids, as I say, to know how serious he was. He was a real artist. Well, I am not a layman. I am a pro, <laughs> and I say the same thing. So. <clears throat> No, I mean, I, I, I think in general, as I said, Modern is now doing this rehang of the collection, and lots of museums are wondering what are they going to do in the future. Yeah. And they, there's a lot of work to be done to flesh out the story of modern art, and of art generally, whether it was stylistically modern or not. And you would think that your father was absolutely perfect for a museum of that type that wants to do something fresh because the old is new again because the paintings have not aged badly, they have aged well. Yeah. And because the minute you start shuffling the deck, all kinds of new things occur to you. You start looking in other directions. So he could be a wedge to open up territory that needs it. That would be great. Uh, and, you know, I want to thank you uh, for helping me uh, do all this. And, um, and, uh, and as I'm seriously making me more aware of certain things that I was just not aware of. Well, there, there are certainly other hands involved. In this book, uh, Bob Kushner, who's an artist, a very important artist, who's currently got to show up, uh, writes. Charlie Stuckey, who's an art historian, museum person, writes. Um, there are numbers of people who write in this, and they're all of them agreed that this is a task to be, you know, sort of addressed. And, you know, so I don't want to take too much credit. No, well, I... I... Um, Thank everyone. We're supposed to open it up to questions, and maybe since we're supposed to do this within an hour, about now is the time. And if you have index cards on which you've written questions, I will take them and pass them to, or read them to Bob, and he can uh, answer them if he wishes. If they're directed at me, I will answer them if I can. Oh. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Can you ask what? Can't hear you. So. Can you ask directly? Is that what you said? Um, Why not? Okay. Mr. De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you read them. Mr. De Niro, what quality do you have that you think is most like your father, Joyce? Um, well, I have qualities of my father, especially as I get older, I see more and more, even of his father. Um, uh, that um, I, I see them. I don't know whether I want to say what they are. <laughs> um, and my mother too. You know, uh, that's. <laughs> I guess we all experience that with our, with our parents, and and. Um, but I liked, my father was a very, um, he, he was not cynical, but he was cynical in a certain way about people, things, people who pretended to be something that they weren't, something he was kind of, uh, kind of joke about that or make fun of uh, those situations. And um, 
But I, you know, I, I don't know certain things, uh, and I probably have things <coughs> that he, that that are like him, uh, that are, you know, that I see in my own kids that are like me. You know, that that's that's what it is. You know, and I, but I had great respect for my father. I think he was. Um, uh, side, besides loving him, he was, uh, you know, uh, he had a lot of integrity. He did. And um, he, he uh, I, that I can, that I feel, you know. Okay. Did you ever talk with your father about your Italian heritage and has your Italian heritage been part of his and your inspiration? Oh. Well, no, I, I, no, not really. We didn't, no. <laughs> <coughs> No. Okay, he's just come out with a movie called The Irishman. Yeah. Is that, is that your mother? <laughs> no. My, my mother is Dutch, French, and a little German. My father is Irish and Italian. Okay, good. So. <coughs> Talk about the production studio that you were opening in Astoria. Well, that's sort of, um, that's happening but it's a, it's a ways off. It's, it, it hopefully will be real. It'll be uh, good. But I can't, again, I can't talk too much about it because my son, is uh, Raphael, is working on that with, with Adam Gordon. And these guys are like putting it together. And uh, I'm involved with Jane Rosenthal. We're involved in it. They are really running with it. Um, and I, it, it seems like it'll be um, a very great a project, hopefully, and a place for people to make films and um, so on. And that'll be, that's all I can say. It would be great to light the film industry up more so in the city, I think, really. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, this is from, uh, 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 says, when, do you realize, when did you realize that your parents were talented? <laughs> I like that because usually... <laughs> People say, when did your parents realize you were talented? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, I, <clears throat> well, you know, when your parents, you usually don't even care. You know, you kind of, <laughs> oh, oh, dad, oh, mom, you know, uh, you know, later. Um, but I, I realized my father, as I got older, how he, uh, you know, he used to try and make me go to show his shows when I was younger. Like I tried to make my kids do certain things and they, they don't care. Um, they do and they don't, but, you know, but they, at certain ages, and, and so uh, he'd say, oh, come to the show, and I'd say, eh, you know, I don't want to, and then later, I got much more um, appreciative and more uh, realized how special he was in his shows and so on, and I would go, my grandmother would go, his mother, uh, my mother would go, and whoever else, you know, this was a routine, and every time he had a show, we would all go. And then, um, you know, it's a part of the tradition. In terms of your mother's work, how much of it is there that you have still or that anybody has in storage? And might it be possible to do something also with her work? Yeah, I, I thought of that. And there are works of hers around, not as much. But I thought of that and I was talking with Jane Rosenthal about that. She actually was saying, why don't you try and do that? And I would like to do it. I don't know if... We can, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind taking a, a chance, a, a shot at it. Yeah. Because you know? yeah. I remember seeing a really spectacular painting of hers in a show at uh, NYU's Gallery downtown, which was a show devoted to the circle of Robert Duncan and Jess Collins, who was his yeah. partner. And she was very connected to those people. Yeah. And it was the poetry painting and other things circle of San Francisco in a crucial period. And her painting was just radiant. It was fantastic. Yeah. And I'd heard about her, but I'd never seen it. And I thought, wow, if this is what she did, let me see more. You know? Yeah, when I, was, when, I was, uh, when I hitchhiked through Europe when I was, I think it was 19, 18, turning 19, whatever, I, um, I was in Venice and I went to the Guggenheim Museum. Um, and I walked in and the first painting on, on the left was hers, or small, mm -hmm. because her, her name, her maiden name was with an A, Admiral. So, and I, I don't know if, it was, if I spoke to Peggy Guggenheim at that. This was, you know, a long, long time ago, but, you know, they were telling me about it. I was very proud that, you know, her, her work was there. 
Um, this is a question from Jamie. How hard was it to do your 2014 documentary about your father? It, it wasn't hard. I had to do it, and I wanted to do it. And so, um, uh, no, it wasn't hard. <laughs> okay, well, I will... I will emotional at times, but that's, that, you know, it's okay. I'll amplify the question, because what comes out in the film, which ma many people did not know, and most people probably still don't know, was that your father discovered shortly after his marriage that he was attracted to men. Mm. And in a sense, you came out for him, uh, even though in his time it really wasn't possible to do so, except to very close intimates. So the, 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 the film is a document about how difficult it was to be gay in that Yeah. Period. And in reading the diaries and the journals that he kept, it's even more apparent. And nowadays, of course, one can go way too far and interpret the work as if that was what that was about. It wasn't. But there, that as a condition for making this work does uh, have a lot of relevance, I think. And you know, it's extraordinary that you did it. I mean, that's all. I, well, no, I, you know, as I say, I, I wanted to uh, show him... Uh, with everything that I knew about him and that, that anybody else knew about him. And that was very important for us, for the family, mm -hmm. uh, because he, to me, was a great artist, is a, is a great artist, yeah. if you can say it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, the circle that your mother was in with Duncan and Jess, that was another circle which was early on open to gay and lesbian talent in a way that was not common in general. Right. And I guess one of the things that's happened in recent years is that the history of where people found fellowship and where people found support, if they were gay or lesbian, is being written as we speak. And it is long overdue, but there it is, you know. And then, yeah. Okay. Um, it says, I own a De Niro. That's nice. After, after Titian, 1965. Jesus just removed from the cross. Do you know the name of the work Question, was this part of a series and what was the connection to Titian? To Tish? To Titian. Titian, oh, Titian. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Ronnie, you're just... I mean, I wish I did, luck. but I don't. I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll give this card to Bob afterwards and if he wants to okay. answer it further or not. Okay. What would your father think about, of this book and of the recognition coming his way? So that, I'm sorry, what was it? What would your father think of this book and of the recognition coming his way? I wonder. Uh, I, I think he would be happy and proud. You know, um, you know, he might say, well, it wasn't. And I'd love for him to explain. Look, I, I'm telling this now how I thought I heard it from you. What was it exactly? Yeah. I mean, that would be a gift if ever there was a, a gift to, to know exactly what he really felt about things and tell it accurately compared to what I'm recollecting. Some of it's accurate, some of it might not be. It's how I saw it, you know, stuff like that. I wish that, again, I wish, uh, as I said in the movie, I wish that I had been more uh, curious about him. You take your, grand, your, your parents for granted sometimes, and I wish I had been more curious about him and, and had hired someone to talk to him and document stuff about from him and my mother to do it with both of them and I I, I regret that deeply because that, that that's uh, that would have been very, it was important that I did that and I I didn't do it you know well you got as much as could be gotten yeah. under these circumstances um something just slipped my mind and I'll try and regrasp it um but in any case uh you it just went away. I had a brilliant question. It just blew. Oh. a fuse blew. Old age. Um, okay. What would you think? What would your father think of this book? And the, that I asked you. Um, do you see your father's personality in his work? Uh, yeah, yeah. I could say that I I do. I can't explain it, but I know that it's you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's something that shows up in the footage of him in the studio, which of which there is a couple of reels, I guess. Um, and this is the question I just forgot. It's coming back to me. Uh, the penny drops. Anyway, that there's a kind of playfulness to him, and he had a kind of grand style. He was silly. Sometimes he mm -hmm. was playful. He had parakeets, right? Yeah. And, and he lived in a world which was not solemn and not sort of grim in the way that the legends of the abstract expressionists were. Right. And that's very striking. Yeah, and he had some, you know, he had a, people say he 
dance around. He'd be kind of um, nutty that way. I don't know if there's any in, in the, a little maybe in the film. And um, no, he, he had a, a great sense of humor. Did his sense of humor and his way of clowning affect you at all as an actor? Did you pick up some of those genes? I'm sure I did. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Okay. Is there a work of your father's that has informed or inspired your acting in any way? Well, that's a uh, who knows. Uh, you know, <laughs> it could have. It could have in some ways. I, 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 I don't. I, you know, that's a, an unconscious thing, subconscious, whatever. But. It's almost like acting, ask him, actor, your method actor, how do you feel when you're a landscape? Right, right. <laughs> do you have a favorite work of your father's? If so, why? Which and why? There's one that he did uh, called The Lady in Red, which is, I hadn't seen, uh, I had not been aware of it until about six, seven, eight, seven years ago. It's it's great. It's a woman in a in a. It's a big painting with a, a woman in a red dress. It's just great. I like the garble, Anna Christie. I love things, those things. You know, fantastic. Uh, yeah. And the prints are fantastic too. The, what? the prints of Garbo are fantastic too. He's a fantastic. Yeah, the prints. Yeah, absolutely. The graphic draftsman. He really knew how how the medium worked. Yeah. Um, what what is your most vivid childhood memory? Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot, but I can't. Again, I don't want. What am I going to say here? I don't. <laughs> Let me just parenthetically say that there's a man in the audience named Stephen Rivers, who was the son of Larry Rivers, who was a painter of the same generation, who also went to the Hoffman School, who was also part of this immediate uh, afterburn mm. of abstract expressionism. And he remembers you in Washington Square Park and has a picture of you and so on and so forth. So, I guess maybe the public should also know that people who had families are like people who always have families. It doesn't change very much. A lot of childhood just is childhood. And there is a picture of you in an outfit and his brother's there with a cowboy outfit, kind of thing that you would have gotten if you were... I'm going to say this. I don't know if that's me. Oh, you don't? <laughs> I, I've seen that picture. Yeah. And that doesn't look like me. <laughs> okay. I said that before. I thought they told you. No, no, you didn't tell That's me. It's all, right. all right. Okay. Um, and I was trying to say, is that me? Is that me? But I, no, it's not. Okay. So, uh, you're off the hook. Um, did, <laughs> did he ever call you Junior? Junior? Yeah. No, not that I can remember. And what is the most challenging role you have ever done and Why? Well, I, I, one of those was the uh, Raging Bull, um, the mission, uh, um, bang the drum slowly. That's a great movie. Other, you know, um, <coughs> what, are, what other ones? Um, Oh, there was a, a few, but I can't uh, think of which one. Taxi driver. Taxi driver. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it wasn't so challenging. It was. I mean, we shot a lot of it at night. It was. Uh, but yeah. Actually, it it went so deep into the DNA of this country that the president recently said, "You talking to me?" Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> You, you know, when you do a movie, you don't know. You don't think, well, we're going to make this movie and it's going to have an impact like this. You, don't, you just don't know. So, and it's, it's, a, it's a surprise when it does have a certain impact or hits a, hits a, a chord somewhere in the, the, the national unconscious, conscious, whatever. So that's, you know, we just made the movie. We all love the script. Marty, myself, Paul Schrader, who wrote it. Uh, the producers, um, everyone. You know, we, we said that we were anxious to make the movie. We, we felt it was going to be a special, you know, we, it was a special project for us. Yeah. Uh, let's see, and what would, what would your father have to say about the current state of politics? 
And what do you have to say about the Curtis Day apology? Yeah. Well, he. Uh oh. <laughs> he don't. He uh, he he's. He uh, he probably he wasn't like into politics. He wasn't the way I am, and I'm not into politics either. Except I'm so upset about this idiot and this whole situation. But, uh, but he not, it doesn't mean he, it doesn't register. He sees, you know, the idiocy going on, what's going on in this country with these people who are all con artists and, and they're, they're awful. I mean, they're just awful. And we have to do something about it, you know. It's that simple. We have to do something about it. Um, again, with him, he would, have, he would have said, yeah, it's pretty bad, you know. He was more into his own world and stuff at the same time. But that doesn't mean it didn't register and things wouldn't have registered. That's what's so terrible going on today. Well, if we get through it in one piece, which is not a sure thing. Right. It's going to be the subject of a really great Scorsese film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe Coppola if he wants to come back. I, I, yeah. If you've got to get over the, you've got to kind of get over the shock of the whole thing and just let it like be in the past a bit so you can like make sense of it all, put it in some perspective. And that'll <coughs> happen eventually, yeah. of course. Well, but it's, it, is, uh, bad. it is grim and we yeah. need to fight. We can't leave it to other people. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's our hour. We didn't want to ask you for more. Um, and yes, it's just exactly our hour plus one. So if there's anything else that anybody urgently needs to ask and can get to the foreground here, otherwise, thank you. Thank Bob very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. And this is not a plug. This is not a plug, but there actually is a place you can see a lot of De Niro paintings besides D.C. Moore, and that's the Tribeca Grill downtown. There are lots and lots and lots of them, and the food is excellent. So, you know. Yes, yeah, so a little Conde Verde also, and, and on the second floor of the Tribeca um, uh, film, of the film center, it's part of the Tribeca Grill. And, but in the back room of the, the grill, it's all the black and whites are really yeah. terrific. Yeah. And there are drawings everywhere. And uh, Robert De Niro Sr. installed them himself. So this yeah, is, this is the, what the man thought of his own work in a space provided by his son. So with that, thank you. And I asked him, I asked him if he'd be, I said, no, he's not going to want to do this. I remember, you know, he'd say, well, you know, people take a painting, you give them, and they, they, they put it in their closet, and that's, you know. So, so I said, oh, geez, I'm, I'm gonna, he's going to be very picky about this, and I was afraid to ask him if he'd put some of his paintings in the grill, and he said he would. And then I asked him if he would do the menu, uh, and he did that too. Um, and I never changed it. And with La Conda Verde and with uh, the Greenwich Hotel, I always have, you know, his his works there, and it's the menu. It's just that simple. It's there to stay. As long as it's that we're there, that's there. The hotel's there. Whatever's there, it's it's, it's uh, you know it's that's it. It's there, always. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Nine Two Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92y.org archives. <laughs>